0: impress on the Christians there in Ephesus and the surrounding region there of Asia Minor, how important it is that they understand how blessed they are, how rich they are in Christ with all that he has done for them. And boy, he outlines how the plan of God working in your life started way before you ever existed, that he chose you before the foundation of the world. And we saw last week, as he talked about the mystery of, of knowing God and how God worked in our hearts and in our lives and began to reveal his plan, and somehow we were able to comprehend to the extent that we opened a door to a relationship with God. And what a, what a glorious thing it is that God gave us that opportunity and that insight. And, and we saw how it was all about redemption. It's all about him purchasing back and making everything right that's wrong with the world, and how it would all one day be united in him. Now, in this section we will look at this morning, beginning with verse 15, and on through the end of the chapter, it's mostly a prayer that Paul prayed for the Christians, and what he is praying is interesting, but it involves the continuation of their awareness of that which God wanted them to know. And so let's read these verses first. He says in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he says, I heard that you guys had responded to the gospel, and I'm really thankful for that, and now I'm praying for you, and here's what I pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. That God would help you to know Him. And He goes on, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come." And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a prayer. Makes you feel kind of funny about the prayers we pray, huh? You know, somebody goes, hey, can I pray for you? Do you have any prayer requests? We go, well, I'm a little stopped up this week. You could pray that the virus will go away and my sinuses will clear up and, you know but if it doesn't it's going to clear up anyway but you know yeah go ahead and pray for that and no, i'm having kind of a hard time at work and or you know the the most to be honest with you probably the greatest prayer collectively that all christians pray the prayer that god hears more than all other prayers combined is the prayer to bless our food whatever that means you know and but here, Paul prays this prayer for the Christians, and it's this lofty, amazing, incredible, and deep request for God to do some very specific and very amazing things in their lives. Now, the prayer's really involved, but it basically centers around, and what we're going to look at this morning primarily, is three prayer requests that Paul had for them. Three specific things that he prayed God would do for them. Now, they all involve knowing God. They all involve the continuation of what he had said earlier as he said that you began to get it. You, you, it dawned on you that the gospel was true, that God really loved you, that Jesus really died for you. And as earlier, he, he refers to that awareness that was like a mystery that was revealed to us. And and he says in verse 13 that you trusted in him. You you decided to, to place your future in his hands. Well, now he says, I still pray that God will reveal to you a lot more. There's so much more for you to be aware of than just what you were aware of when you became a Christian. And so he prays, that they would be, would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. But in three specific areas, in verse 18, first of all, he says, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Earlier, he talked about the fact that God chose us. We call that predestination. God, God knew us way before we knew him. But God didn't just call us to save us. And when the Bible talks about predestination, it's really not focusing on God deciding who should get saved. And a lot of people get confused with the issue because of that. The emphasis always with predestination is on God has a purpose for your life. There are things that God wants to do. There is something that he has called you to do, someone that he has called you to be. God doesn't save us for nothing. He saves us for something. He has a great plan for each of us to use us. And Paul here calls that the hope of his calling. Now, the word hope, we use that word in a way that's that means I hope it happens, but it's probably not going to happen or it might not happen. We usually refer to hope in if it's close to 50-50 or a long shot. Like, I hope I win the lottery. A lot of people say that. I hope I win the lottery. It's gonna be tough because I don't buy tickets and I haven't figured out how you <laughs> win it yet, you know. But hey, wouldn't it be great? Imagine how your life would change. And so people say, Oh, we have hope. You look at a you know, look at the Super Bowl today. I hope. Arizona wins, and Kurt Warner has a great game and is the MVP of the game and gives the glory to the Lord. But it's probably a 50-50 chance. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying I expect that to happen. Hayden, you're wearing a Pittsburgh <laughs> Roethlisberger jersey. No. <laughs> Hayden's down here praying for Roethlisberger to win, and so he's hoping that Pittsburgh pulls it out. And that's kind of Our concept of hope, who I hope, but I don't really expect it necessarily. Sometimes we even will say, you know, like last night I watched a fight on TV, and I was like, I hope B.J. Penn wins, but I'm afraid that George St. Pierre is just a little too big for him. And so we use hope in that way. But, you know, when God talks about hope, He's using the term as if, look, God has promised it, it's going to happen, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm expecting God to do what he says he's going to do. I can't wait. I'm anticipating it. I'm excited about it. Paul, talking to Titus over in Titus chapter 2, said, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, he wasn't saying, Jesus probably isn't going to come back, but ooh. I hope he does. Not at all. It's, he said he's coming back. I know he's coming back, and I'm living my life with an awareness and an expectation, and I know it could happen at any time. So here, when Paul says, that you'd, that you'd be able to know the hope of his calling, that somehow God would, would allow you to focus in on that. What he's saying is God has a calling for you. And it's so important that God open your eyes to an awareness of that calling and that you would, with excitement and anticipation, look forward to it, expecting it to happen. Now, we're pretty good about teaching kids to have hope for the future. And when we talk to them and we say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You can be anything that you want. But as we get a little older, we start to realize some of the things I'm hoping I'll be, I'm not going to be. And somehow we settle into a, a lifestyle and a a profession or a, a way of life, and we just go, I guess I'm going to settle for this. And as we grow older, we often lose that anticipation that my best days are ahead of me. You know, we can, you know, tell people on their birthday as they get older, well, you know, they say the second half is the best, and we go, yeah, but it's also a lot shorter. <laughs> it goes by a lot quicker. And we begin to lose our expectation that God's going to do something great in our lives. And yet, God wants to do something great in our lives. And I wonder how many of us really believe that our best days are ahead of us. How many of us really believe that God isn't finished with us yet? And everything that he's done so far is only a preparation for what he ultimately wants to do. It's sad when we cross that threshold and no longer dream about what am I gonna be when I grow up? And yet God has an image of what he wants us to be when we grow up when he is finished and it's something glorious. I've quoted many times one of my favorite quotes. One of the professors at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, said this. He said, he said on the day which... Your memories become more exciting than your dreams. You've started to die. In other words, when you look back and you're, boy, those were the glory days, and you're looking forward and going, there's not much to look forward to. Well, you're deteriorating. And you can go, believe me, I've paid my dues. I've done it. I've earned the right to sit here and lose hope yeah, if it wasn't for God. But God still isn't finished with you. If you're still breathing on your own or even with a machine, God isn't finished with you yet. And and so Paul is saying, I wish, I, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in your life in such a way that you would have this incredible expectation for the future, that you would be positively excited about what God is going to do, that you would be anticipating it. Now, here's the bad thing. When we lose that hope, then that becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we decide to just, well, I guess it's over, about time to check out, well, that happens. It can come on pretty rapidly. Once we quit trying, we quit doing. And and then God isn't able to do what he wants to do in our lives because we get in the way of that. But God wants us to anticipate a glorious future so that he can come through with that future. And either you believe that he has a great plan for your life or you don't. Paul's heart for these Christians is that they would. It's really sad to me that Christians have so often become the most negative people in the world. Now, there are some people who are positive in ridiculous ways. You know, you can, you know, there are people who talk about, you know, possibility thinking, and they do it in such a syrupy way or, you know, positive thinking or positive confession or, you know, the whole motivational speaker, come on, you can You can do it if you believe it, you can receive it, and you can... And you listen to the stuff sometimes you and your blood sugar goes up just listening to it and you go, come on. However, as Christians, even though we've rightfully reacted against some of the nonsense that's out there, that if you just say it, it's going to happen, what we've traded for that is that we go, we're not those positive confession people, we're the negative confession people. <laughs> And Christians get the reputation of, we can tell you what's wrong with every idea and everything that happens. And if there's a new movement that starts up, we can tell you 10 problems with it. And we are critical of everything. And somebody pops up with a little hope, we can crush it just like that because we know all the negative stuff. And then what happens is, when we talk about the world, Oh, we make it sound like, man, this world is the worst place ever. It's awful. It's worse than it's ever been. It's going downhill so fast. And for how many years we go, I don't know how, you know, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but, and I've been guilty of saying this plenty of times, it can't be much longer because things are so bad. That's old codger talking, you know? And like, oh, yeah, it's terrible. And and it's easy to do because I look back and there are some things in the past that I think were pretty cool that we don't have anymore. You know, personally, I think we lost something huge when we quit letting kids ride in the back of pickup trucks. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I don't know, I just... That was fun, and, and I can remember, you know, being in the back of a truck, and they go around a corner fast, and you're rolling around, crashing into each other, or standing up in the cab and hanging onto that little rim on the back of it, and, and I just, you know, you can't do that anymore, and you can't ride a motorcycle without a helmet anymore, and you can't, and I can just go, this world's going to hell. It's just, it's just awful, but is God working? If he is, I ought to be able to see that he's doing a lot of good things. And for some people who are safety nuts, where you're going to come up after church and tell me how many less deaths we have because of not letting kids be in the back of pickups and, you know, having your dog tied in the back of a pickup and all, uh, you know, okay, great, good. But If God's at work, we ought to be able to find good things that are happening. We shouldn't just look at the bad things. The truth is there are a lot of good things that, unfortunately, Christians often ignore. Like, you're not going to hear today across the country, you're not going to hear a lot of pastors who get up and say, boy, it's great. Violent crime in the last year has dropped significantly, We don't say that because it might not sell. It might not fit in with our agenda that we're trying to convince people that you ought to be scared to death most of the time. And so as a result, we ignore something that's actually a good thing, that's actually something that I'm sure God is pleased with. Is God at work in this world? If he is, then we of all people ought to be aware of it. We ought to see it. It ought to give us hope for the future, We shouldn't just believe that the best news is, don't worry, you're going to die pretty soon. (laughs) God is a great God, and God is doing great things. And personally, for each of us, he has a reason why we're still here, because there's something really good that he wants to do. There are people, you know, 50 years ago who just wanted the Lord to return. Some of them sold their houses and everything, ready to go. And Peter even addressed that in his epistle when he, when he said, God isn't slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's timing is such that he wants people to get saved. Now, how many of you were saved in the last 50 years? (laughs) So, is it such a bad thing that God's waited this long so that we could spend an eternity in heaven? Hey, that seems like a good deal to me. I'm not going to mope over it, but... If we understand that God is a good God who does good things, who has great plans for us, and and God was planning how he was going to use you before you were even born, and he uses whatever he has to use to develop you into the person that he wants you to be, that's something to be excited about. And it's something that it changes your whole attitude about life you understand this, and that's why Paul prayed that God's people would supernaturally have the Spirit of God with the knowledge and the revelation of God reveal this to them, that they would have a hope for His calling, that they would really believe that God wants to do great things for us, in us, through us, and, and those days are still ahead of us it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And you might go, look, most of my life is gone. That doesn't matter. It might be that in your last month, God does the best thing that he's ever done in your whole life through you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that could happen? I mean, what if you're on your deathbed and, and, and then you lead somebody to the Lord and that person goes on to do huge things? That would make it all worthwhile. I mean, I've had a lot of moments in my life when I think, you know what? If I was only to live for that moment, I'll be there to encourage someone at a tough time or to comfort them in a time of pain or whatever. And I've thought about it later and thought, if that's all my life was about, it was worth it. It was worth living just to be there for that event, just to be there for that happening. Well, there's a lot of those ahead of us. God has great plans for us. And we can miss out on that vision if we, if we just begin to grovel in our own problems and we stop looking forward to the calling of God, to that hope that is in him and what he wants to do in our lives. His second prayer request, he says, and also in verse 18, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints? Now, it's earlier talked about our inheritance, and it's good to know that we have an inheritance, that we are heirs of of God and joint heirs with Christ, that we have, you know, an inheritance put off for us in the future. But this isn't talking about this. This is talking about God's inheritance. That God, through his Spirit, would show us the, the um, riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. What could God possibly inherit? He owns everything, He made everything. You know you know certain people that when it's their birthday or Christmas, you go, what can I possibly get for this person? Everything they could ever want, they just get for themselves or they already have. Well, imagine God. What do you give God? Well, there is an inheritance he wants. There is something that actually makes God greater and richer, and that is you and other people. That's something that is added to him that he feels is a treasure. That's something that he's excited about. When he sees you, and I'll use this term under advisement, and somebody will correct me afterwards, but God feels lucky to have you as his child. Okay, I'll use the euphemism. God feels blessed to have you as his child. Do you believe that? It's hard to believe, but that's how he feels. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, what he was thinking of, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He was happy to die because of what it would accomplish. In Isaiah 53 God would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, for by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, for he'll bear their iniquities. Do you understand what that means? That God felt it was so worth it, and Jesus felt it was so worth his suffering. Why? Because of you. Philippians talks about this in chapter 2 when it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God or being being God, he didn't think it was something to hang on to, that equality with God, but he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on a cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Same thing that we see here in the end of this prayer about him being far above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, every name that's named in this age and the one that is to come, everything's under his feet. What's that about? Jesus started and was always God, But when he emptied himself and and died, that led to him becoming greater. And it's hard to fathom that and take spiritual eyes to even comprehend it. And that's why we need to be prayed to understand this. But how could it be worth it? I don't know. When I look in the mirror, I'm like, you died for me and then that was something that you are happy about? That's something that you feel I was worth it? There's that old song, that, uh, the old hymn that talks about how amazing it is that, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing love, how could it be that you'd die for me? But God sees things we don't see. He sees things as we don't see them. And it's important for us as Christians to understand that God values us incredibly. That he holds us with as extreme as his treasures. And we need to know that because first of all, it's the truth. And secondly, it affects how we treat ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves because we really don't understand that we are God's treasure. But we are. Remember the prodigal son? Kid's a brat. Asks for his inheritance early. Goes out, squanders the whole thing. And, and then, you know, he's in a pig pen and he's thinking... My dad's got a soft heart. Maybe he'll hire me as a servant. And he goes back. He has this whole little speech prepared. His dad won't even listen to the speech. Now, you'd think dad, if he was like most parents, dad would have had a speech of his own. Now, listen, son, you don't know how hard I worked to earn that money that you blew. And there's no more. Zero tolerance. I'm not going to give you anything. Hey, I'll, take, I'll let you live here. If you work and earn your... But the first time I catch you doing this or that, you're out of here. And No, man, dad just embraced him. And he said, throw a party, kill the fatted calf. Put nice clothes on him. Because he was lost and now he's found. God's rejoicing. The Bible tells us that when one sinner repents, turns around, heaven rejoices there's rejoicing in heaven. We don't understand how much our father loves us and how much he values us. The older son in the story of the prodigal son, who was really the point of the parable, he didn't get it either. He's like, Dad, you don't, you're not excited about me and I've stayed here. I'm the good one. Why is it that you care so much about the dirt bag? And some of you know, some of you are the good one in your family. And you're like, How come your parents spend so much time on the one that causes the most trouble? Well, because that's what parents do who love their kids. They see value in the kids that the kids don't see in themselves. It's a whole different way of looking at things. And and that's our father. And he doesn't care one bit about what the kids squandered. Because our dad isn't into things. He's into people. I've told you the story before about the little kid who, 18-month-old kid, and he got a little Tonka truck and starts pounding it on the coffee table, putting big gouges in a brand new coffee table. And his dad is saying, no, no, that's bad, and starts swatting his hand. And mom comes into the room, and she goes, you stop that. Leave him alone. And he goes, look what he did to our coffee table. And she said, I will not have you destroy our million-dollar son over a $1,000 coffee table. That's the heart of our dad, our God. We're so much more valuable than the stuff we worry about, than the stuff we think about. We are his treasured possession. And maybe not in the shape we're in now, but when he's done with us, we're going to glow. We're going to be worth it. He sees that, he knows that, and that's the truth. And how it will affect the way we spend our lives, if we understand that. But there's something else. I'm talking to each of you personally and telling you, you are God's treasure. But I also want to remind you, that person there sitting next to you is also. That those people in your family, that those people that you don't get along with, that those people that you treat horribly, you know, they're God's treasure too. And that's why Paul's praying that you would understand the riches of his inheritance in the saints. As he goes on to say, they're his body. If you understand, those other brothers and sisters in Christ, they are members of his body. You go, well, some of them I'm not so sure. Yeah, well, be careful. Because whether you agree with them or not, whether they do things your way or not, whether God has finished with them or not, He hasn't finished with you either, and He values them. And it's so important that we would begin to understand this about ourselves and about each other, the value that is there in God's eyes, and it's God's eyes that really matter, the, the incredible riches of his inheritance in the saints. And then he goes on and says, thirdly, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? When we start talking about a calling of God, we begin to go, I don't, I don't think God can really use me I I think I've blown it enough. Or, you know, when they were dealing out talent and gifts and everything, I just don't think I got it. And I've missed a lot of opportunities. I've made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, if I had understood this when I was younger, I'm sure God could have done something in my life. But I just don't think he can anymore. Too old, too tired. Too disqualified. And then when we talk about value... We go, how could God ever make me into something valuable? How could God ever make these other people into something valuable? I'm just having a hard time believing it. Well, you can believe it if you understand the power of God. And that's why it all hinges on this. That's why the resurrection is so important. That's why Easter is almost as important as the Super Bowl Sunday. Because... (laughs) If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can do anything. Even do something great with your life and mine. Even turn somebody like us into treasured inheritance. It just all depends on whether you believe in that power or not. And look what that power did. You know, a lot of people feel like, You know, sounds good, pastor, but my life's almost over. Jesus was dead. (laughs) And God was just getting started. Maybe you're almost dead. I don't see anybody here who's keeled over during the service, wouldn't blame you, but (laughs) even if that had happened, we're talking about the power that raised Jesus from the dead and then elevated him in this way, put him in charge of everything, and made him the head of the body of Christ. So now it comes down to, can you believe in the power of God? He's proven his power by raising himself from the dead. If you can believe in his power, let's back up a little bit. Now, what do you make of his calling? The hope of his calling. Isn't it possible that the one who can raise people from the dead can turn your life into something fruitful and productive no matter what you've done with it? That he could have a, a marvelous plan for you? A great work that he wants to do? If you doubt the possibility of that plan, then you're doubting the power of the resurrection. And if you're wondering about your own value or the value of someone else, you know, you're looking at this group here today and you're going, (laughs) I don't know. If this is the best we can do, we're in trouble. Not if you can raise the dead. Not if you have that kind of power. And so Paul's prayer is an amazing request to God for God's people that supernaturally, you can't figure this out in your own head, but that same kind of spiritual wisdom and insight that caused you one day to go, by golly, I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it's starting to make enough sense that I think I'll accept him. Now Paul's going, don't stop there. Pray that the Spirit of God will continue to give you the kind of insight that will just follow up on your salvation and bring you to a point where you understand there's a great plan in place, there's a great calling that God has, there's something fantastic that He wants to do, you can believe it because you can believe in Him. There's, there's a work that He wants to do, and not only that, as, as you look at God, He sees you as being treasured inheritance and when he's done with you you're really going to be worth that you're going to be worth his death you can't do anything to earn that you know in the movie saving private ryan as there's this kid in the service who was just kind of a bum and wasn't worth much but several guys came and and gave their lives so that he could be saved, just to come and get him out of the battle. And as Tom Hanks' character was dying, and, or no, the, the, the guy who was rescuing Private Ryan was, was dying, his last words to the soldier were, earn this. But we can't earn it. Jesus Christ died for us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But if we understand what that's worth, then we can allow him to do the work in our life that will cause us to be deserving of that, to be so wonderful when he's finished with us that he can say, my inheritance, boy, were you worth it. But to believe that, you've got to believe in power. Because believe me, to to do something with your life and to make you worth that much takes a lot of power. The same kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray for all of us that the Spirit of God would begin to reveal to us, would, would help us to understand what is impossible to understand apart from the Spirit of God. And that is, He's not finished with us. He has a great plan for us. The hope of His calling is amazing. The value of us and what He wants to do in us, through us, for us, is just incredible. And the power that He has to do it is the same power that raised Him from the dead and put him on the throne and made him the head of the church. I hope you pray that for yourself because you really need to know that. And I do too. And pray it for each other. And the next time you're praying for somebody, think of this kind of stuff. Instead of just, I mean, it's good to pray that somebody will get a job or that they'll be healed or whatever, but that's really nothing compared to praying that we will have this awareness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful prayer of Paul's that just elevates us to a whole different realm. And Lord, we ask you, where we have lost hope, that you would, by your Spirit, give us a fresh image of the hope of your calling. Lord, where we have felt worthless. Give us a new understanding of the treasures that we are, of your inheritance. And Lord, where we are weak, step in with your power to do for us, in us and through us, what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you for these amazing truths. Thank you that it's all free and that it's for all of us, each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ at all, and this sounds like, boy, it'd be nice.